Hey, I'm Brian Hyatt, and this is Rolling Stone Music Now. I have in the studio Andy Green and Rob Sheffield. In a moment, we're going to be joined by Brittany Spanos. And we're going to talk about a controversy that set Twitter aflame this week. And I wanted to talk about it because there's just a lot of ins and outs about this controversy, a lot to talk about. Because, first of all, it probably shouldn't have been a controversy at all. What I'm referring to is... Billie Eilish said on the Jimmy Kimmel show that she had never heard of Van Halen. And this came in a segment where Jimmy Kimmel was kind of just quizzing her based on the amazing fact that she is only 17 years old and was born in December 2001. She'd never heard the words Van yeah, Halen. I mean, I think some context is important that she was born. This is post Gary Sharon. This is after three singers when they were just in a wasteland, which in many ways... They're still kind of there in a crazy way. That's despite two reunions. But in 01, like Van Halen was so in the rearview mirror of the culture. And I wanted to say, of course, Billie Eilish, who is 17, should not have heard of Van Halen. It doesn't surprise me at all. Anyone who condemned her for that is nuts. That's not the purpose of this discussion. The purpose of the discussion is that raised a lot of hilarious issues. Do we have that clip ready? How close I am to death. (laughs) You know who Madonna is. I do know who Madonna is. You know, uh, can you name a Van Halen? Who? I'm going to start crying. Um, Have you heard of Cyndi Lauper? Yes. Huey Lewis? Some, no. Fill in the blank. Run, DM. (laughs) What? Now, that was the other point I was making before the show. How come people weren't outraged that she hadn't heard of Run DMC? Again, I don't think anyone should be outraged about any of this, but if you're going to be outraged about Van Halen, you should be at least as outraged about Run DMC. But I don't know. There's so much to talk about. Brittany, what was your your first thought was like how ridiculous it was that people were mad at her, right? Yeah, because there's also an old clip. I think it's from like two weeks ago. Right. And it was weird <laughs> that all of a sudden people were really, really pressed about it. But, but just to interject for one second, <laughs> keep in mind that Rolling Stone had a 10-year-old list, a 10-year-old list of the best singers, yeah. and that Twitter spent a week going nuts about that a few weeks ago. So two <laughs> weeks is nothing. But yeah, please go on. Yeah, I thought it was kind of ridiculous. It was weird that people were focusing so much on it, and it seemed like... I don't know. It, like you guys said, it's just like Van Halen. That's not it's not the top of things that I'm like, teens should know this. <laughs> <laughs> but again, a lot of issues. Let's talk about Billie Eilish and her taste to start. What is interesting is she does love Green Day. So it's not yeah. like she's a, a stranger to right. the rock canon. But that's a band that in her lifetime, they've had their biggest album and have been very much a part of mainstream culture. They've been on so many award shows. They've been all over just so many places where Van Halen has been totally absent. She had a whole conversation with Billy Joe Armstrong in our Musicians on Musicians issue that was super fascinating. And one of the things that underscored again is just her sheer like youth and coolness. She really had Billy Joe like slightly uncomfortable. She would say things and he wouldn't understand what she was saying. She was talking about how he was on her wallpaper and he thought that meant her wall. And it was became clarified that it was her phone. And it was just you could feel poor Billy Joe like aging by the minute in that interview, trying to just kind of like trying to confront this thing. And I think in general, she makes a lot of people feel their age. I remember we talked before on the show about I saw a bunch of 20-something music critics being like, I didn't get this at first. I was sort of scared of it. It took mm-hmm. me a while. So it's, there's something about her that really, it makes people want to torture themselves with how old they are, right? Yeah. I mean, it's a mixture of the sound, which is very now, very kind of like, you know, sleepy, 
sad emo rap that she like combined with a lot of pop influences, but it's also the mode of, in which she blew up, which is through SoundCloud first and then through social media and kind of like coming out of nowhere, it seemed, on the charts, which is a lot of things these days. So I think it was a, a big mixture of all of that, where everything else is a little bit discernible prior to like five years ago. And also, Billy is in so many ways the David Lee Roth of her generation. <laughs> I was waiting for she this. Has, they, they have such profound aesthetic affinities. They're both really great at the talking parts of the song, where the prose is the best part of the song. And uh, you spend the entire song like waiting for the part where she just talks a little bit. Where did she get that? She got that from Mr. One for the Ladies, David Lee Roth. He's the seat back himself. He invented that entire thing. So, And it's funny that they're both classicists of pop culture in very different ways. David Lee Roth was always the, yes, I own records by Louis Prima. Like, all my solo hits are going to be covers of, you know, songs that were hits in the 40s. Like, he took pride in sort of, like, being that guy. Whereas, like, Billy is, like, really just, like, a, a more of a plunderer in a, like, absolutely, like, efficient way. But her affinities with David Lee Roth seem so, so, so to speak for themselves that honestly, like, <laughs> as I guess Dave Lee Roth himself would say, change ain't nothing stays the same. <laughs> now, I'm glad you brought up Louis Primo, which is a thing I, I say that sentence like every week. <laughs> 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 because I realized that basically the exact temporal distance between Van Halen's first album and now, it's equivalent to the distance between Louis Primo's version of Just a Gigolo and David Lee Roth. So, just take that in for a minute. That's how antique the first Van Halen album is now. So, again, not surprising that she wouldn't know it. It also means that if she covered, you know, Running with the Devil, it would be as campy as David Lee Roth covering Just a Gigolo now <laughs> and Just as Alien. So, it's hard to, you know. Yeah, definitely. Hamla Babla Zibla Babla, Hamla Babla Zibla Bop was the duh of its day. <laughs> <laughs> I think it also speaks to, again, a lot of angles we want to get to, but I think there is an issue of legacy maintenance with Van Halen that is problematic yeah. or yeah. non-existent. Yeah, I think that Van Halen is a band that's let their legacy rot. There's no documentary, there's no memoir, there's no super deluxe versions of their albums, there's no Netflix anything, there's no biopic, they don't social media... They are just completely absent from the culture at large and have been for years and years. And that means that the people who are very knowledgeable about them are people who were fans back then. But they have not spent a second at trying to get new fans in the past few decades. Well, and they don't buff via the ways that old rock stars generally buff, as, as you pointed out. They do not schmooze on social media. They do not... They do not really have any grasp of how media works. Yeah, I was I was <laughs> was speaking to Brian about REM. I interviewed Peter Buck a few weeks ago. I dialed the number and somebody answered and they went REM. You know, they either an office whose full-time job is to work on REM and they do great jobs. But there's no Van Halen office that's working on the brand of Van Halen. It's just covered in dust and mold. Let's not erase the Glee version of Jump, which yes. I'm sure had an immense effect on many people. <laughs> and but, Camp classic. But it does bring up, again, this thing that all classic rock is not created equal and that the canon as perceived by younger people is going to be different because of the different degrees of both sort of brand maintenance by the acts themselves and just other sort of vagaries of just the way things happened. 
I mean, I think that Queen and Nirvana are probably like the biggest old bands, right? And it's, and Queen, a lot of that is obviously just due to the movie, I think. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think Queen songs just were everywhere no matter what, even before the movie. I think you go to any sporting event, you'll hear We Will Rock You, you know, We Are the Champions, like... Those songs are just inescapable. Yeah, and because Brian May always says yes, he's yes, I'll go on American Idol, yes, I'll do this, yes, I'll do that. With Van Halen, it's just a uniform no. They're complete opposites with their willingness to be a part of the culture. And Nirvana, I mean, it's a tragedy. I mean, I think it's like people like kind of carry that and romanticize it in a lot of ways. And you don't even necessarily need to know the music. As we saw, I mean, even earlier this year, the other conversation was Lil Nas X putting you know, an interpolation of In Bloom on Panini and not knowing who Nirvana was before. Yeah, it's the equivalent of The Doors in the 80s, whereas Jim Morrison's almost more famous then than he was back then. You know, it's just mm-hmm. these things grow if you die young often. But, the, but that was the case for Queen in the 90s. In the 90s, it was already super bizarre how posthumously popular Queen were. And Wayne's World, big thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. a lot of magazines, their 1992 year in review roundups, there would be inevitably an, an essay because Think Piece hadn't been invented then, but about like, how the hell did this Queen revival happen? Because nothing like it had happened before. I remember it was a really strange thing that Queen were so popular compared to five years earlier or even three years earlier or even two years earlier. It wasn't a big news story when they had that Freddie Mercury concert. Nobody was paying attention in this country because Queen just had dropped out like for the entire 80s. So they were much bigger in the 90s than they were in the 80s, much bigger in the 2000s. It's fascinating how for some bands, their legacy rises and rises right. and you can't necessarily predict it. Well, it's, it's very much versions of what you talk about in your Beatles book, that there's always a different Beatles and it depends on the perception. The problem is with some of these bands is there's never another Van Halen. Like the, the, the Van Halen of now to go with your Beatles analogy is like just doesn't exist. The Van Halen of now is now most famous for Billie Eilish not hearing of them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, but it's, it's, it's also, it's something that you can't predict. If you went back in time to the 90s and said, who will be more famous? I mean, you mentioned Green Day. Who will be more famous in 2019? Green Day or Sarah McLaughlin? Like a hundred out of a hundred people would have laughed in your face, like at the very idea of that question. It was self-evident that Sarah McLaughlin was a legacy artist building a mystery, so to speak, and, uh, <laughs> and that she was just going to great congratulate- song by the way, yes, great, yeah. song. great song. I love Sarah McLaughlin, and that Green Day were you know like a novelty band who had had a hit a couple of years ago. And, you know, same thing with Weezer. If, if you went back in time and said, who's going to be higher regarded in 2019, Weezer or the Breeders? Absolutely everybody would have had the same answer. <laughs> I mean, it is incredible. I mean, Van Halen, like, what are your associations with Van Halen, Brittany? <laughs> Glee. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> just kidding. Come on. I mean, I know, like, it, they're not technically hair metal, but the way I learned about them is through sort of like the 80s kind of, you know, you look at. David Lee Roth and the long hair and kind of like the kimono on stage and everything and Jump being sort of like this like peak 80s synth song. I think I just associate with associated them with a lot of nostalgia. I mean, first of all, I love Van Halen. They are, I think, very misunderstood and also don't have a constituency. I think one of the things that you see is we talk about canon formation Look at what happened to Steely Dan as far as the critical kind of take on them. Pitchfork devoted an entire series to lauding all of their albums, whereas the previous Pitchfork coverage of them had been one of the meanest, most dismissive, most unfair things you've ever read about a band. 
And then here we have a whole new generation of critics correctly putting them to the top right. of, of the canon. And it's a bit classist in some way. That's the Dan fans are seen as more thoughtful, smart people. And Ben Hanlon is just like sludge rock for, for morons. You know, there's sort of this there's this connotation to it. Well, it is sludge rock for morons in the best possible way. <laughs> yes. uh, you know, and I think there's also what I saw was among sort of as what they call blue check Twitter. In other words, <laughs> media professionals, this incredible urge from people in their even in their 30s and 40s and older to be like fuck yeah Billie Eilish is right no one should ever have have to heard of Van Halen it's like <laughs> Billie is not impressed you don't need to impress Billie <laughs> Eilish with your statements and I saw tremendous sort of ignorance about this band I did see people it's understandable to sort of think of them within hair metal but they were an influence on hair metal rather than a hair metal band you know as, as yeah, you said I yeah I mean they were yeah. definitely like my association yeah. with them when I started to listen to them was they were the band that like boys who went to guitar center every weekend loved and so that was not kind of, wrong either. yeah i mean it was yeah. just like <laughs> that was like my association with them but yeah it's i think they're i mean I, I like them i think it's you know i don't think they're a band that everyone needs to listen to constantly so i want to take a moment and talk about vivid seats staying at home is great but eventually you just gotta get out of the house whether you go out to see your favorite band or go cheer on your favorite team in person, you gotta get out of the house, you gotta have a night out. And with Vivid Seats, you can attend the concert of your choice, the sports event of your choice, whatever event you're looking for at a great price. Vivid Seats is the top source for tickets for all the live events you might want to go to. On their site, you can sort by price or look for seats in the section and row of your choice. You can pick the seat you want. To make things even better, Vivid Seats is giving listeners an exclusive promo code for new customers to receive 10% off your first ticket order to save even more money. Just go to the App Store or Google Play and download the Vivid Seats app. First-time customers can use promo code ROLLINGSTONE, that's R-O-L-L-I-N-G-S-T-O-N-E, for 10% off your first Vivid Seats order. Every purchase is backed by a 100% buyer guarantee, from the biggest concerts and games to the hottest theater and more. Vivid Seats has it all. Download the app and enter promo code ROLLINGSTONE for 10% off your first order on Vivid Seats. Make a memory that lasts a lifetime and let Vivid Seats help you get to your favorite live event. I think one of the other things about Billy specifically <laughs> is that she is very much like Lord and other people. She's an alternative artist who is very much post guitar. I mean, obviously she's like alt pop. She gets alternative radio play. She's considered whatever that means in 2019. There's not a guitar in sight really. And that's if she was a young person who played guitar, she would know who Eddie Van Halen is. She would know Van Halen, but she doesn't give a shit about guitars really, you know? And I think that's the other thing that people need to, wrap their heads around and that's why someone like Jimmy Kimmel is like asking her about old rock bands because they think of her sort of in this rock vein which she sort of is spiritually you know for sure she is yeah I mean the funny thing about the clip that went viral is that I had not heard the entire clip that we played earlier like I did not know that there was the longer version of it where right. he's asking her all these other artists like right would people be as mad if she had said she didn't know who Cindy Lauper was? Like, where would that anger be? If she didn't know Madonna, it would have been a hellstorm. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's just like one of those things where she is, like, she's super knowledgeable. I mean, like, she <laughs> she tells the story all the time where, like, she, like, covered the Beatles for all of her, you know, talent shows when she was a kid. And, like, she does know a lot of pop history. She grew up on a lot of classic rock and a lot of, you know, her brother kind of growing up on pop punk. Like, she knows a lot of it. It's like, if you miss Van Halen, I've never been, I have many friends who have no idea who Van Halen are, who are the same age as me, older than me. They just didn't listen to it when they were younger. And so it's not really a thing. 
No, yeah. definitely not. And, and, and as someone who was 17, like in Van Halen's heyday and loved them when I was 17, 17 year old girls weren't crazy about them then. <laughs> <laughs> they were a band that was very, you know, duded up in a mm. lot of ways. I feel like they're probably more popular with 17 year old girls than they were actually at the time. Like they were much more of a boy kind of band. I think they became more of a, uh, not to stereotype, more of a female-friendly band, as many bands did in the 80s once the synths and pop yeah. hooks came in. And that's, Jump, their best song. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think, no. I think, wow. <laughs> I love that. Oh, my God. <laughs> that wasn't trolling. I believe that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, 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 like, I like Jump. I actually like Jump very much. I, my favorite song by them is probably Running With The Devil. And my yeah. favorite album by them is their first album. I, I think that album is fantastic. Yeah, it's a very unfortunate thing if a band peaks on their first record. They were never a metal band. People get that confused, too. Clearly a hard rock band. But there's even a song, of course, called Atomic Punk on their first album. And there's a bit of punk adjacency there. But the combination of the furious energy of the guitar on it with actually the super poppy hooks and the... The Beach Boys energy that also comes in the second album, that's what I love. And, and I think I think even at the time, you talk to rock critics totally shit on them. That's a part of why yeah. they don't have a constituency now is because there's no critical constituency. We once went yeah. to see Van Halen at a tiny club. Uh, the Cafe Wa. At the Cafe Wa a few years ago. We were like three feet away from Eddie Van Halen shredding all night. And I won't name them, but we had a, a very respected old school rock critic with us who said it was the first time that he realized that Van Halen was good. And I was like, really? Because I realized that on the way to wrestling practice and <laughs> when my friend gave me, put Van Halen 1 on my headphones. I guess those first five albums are just, they're perfect albums. And they hold up. And if you like, you know, that kind of <laughs> guitar rock, which I very, very much do, like all five of those are perfect albums that like hold up like magnificently, which is why you still hear them all the time on the classic rock station. A couple days ago, I was on an Amtrak train. Like I, I spent six hours listening to the classic rock station in every area that the train pulled through. And it was really funny to hear the same three bands over and over again, <laughs> Led Zeppelin, ACDC, and Van Halen. And I, I they just, have yeah. so many hits on that format and they dominate all other bands yeah. and they still sound fantastic. Not once did I ever turn off a Van Halen song <laughs> and say, I heard this like a few miles ago in Connecticut. We can dig really hard into the Van Halen aspect, which we will do. I did want to pull it back to Billy for a second. Her relationship with old music is really interesting. I mean, there's a part in Josh Ells's wonderful Billie Eilish cover story for Rolling Stone where she talks about like, you know, obviously like all these Gen X icons have kids that love her or love her themselves mm -hmm. and she meets them and you know, she's like not, she sort of excited but definitely it says that when she when Eddie Vedder brought his kids backstage she was like hi and then sort of like got out of there because it just didn't mean much to her because she's of a different generation yeah. she's of a different generation and the things that again the things that get her excited are very specific Billy Joe Armstrong but not necessarily Tom York or, or Dave Grohl it's mm -hmm. just just is what it is. Brittany, I wonder if you could talk more about like her actual tastes and influences. Yeah, I mean, she has a pretty diverse range. I mean, she's a huge hip hop fan. She loves, I mean, she's like a huge pop nerd. Like she loves Avril Lavigne and Justin Bieber who are- Loves Bieber, yeah. She loves Bieber so much. And putting him on the bad guy remix was so funny. But like, she is like a huge pop nerd. I mean, she has cited Madonna before. Like she knows a lot of these, you know, she knows her pop history and she wants to make pop music. So it's very evident in- everything she does. Has she ever acknowledged Marilyn Manson? Because I hear that. Whether I, it's a coincidence or not, I hear that a lot. I don't think that she has acknowledged him explicitly, but he is someone that does kind of like still have, like he's over, like Gen Z, I feel like is aware of Marilyn Manson. And like there's a very funny video of him at 
Travis Scott's Astrofest, and he played there. And it was just like everyone freaking out, wow. walking through the crowd. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, you know, he was doing ASMR. He was like, the beautiful people. Yeah. So, so, you know, he was, I think he should do a whole album like that. That yeah. really could get him back in the zeitgeist. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that he has some effect. I don't know if she's probably like, you know, a super Marilyn Manson fan because she, I don't think she's ever really cited him, but I don't doubt that that's there. It also could be indirectly, you know, yeah. it's just, you know, we hear it, but it doesn't mean. But I mean, back to Van Halen for a moment. <laughs> Rob, you said their first five albums, which doesn't include 1984, by the way. That's their sixth I, album. I should include 1984. Okay, their first six, you said those six are perfect <laughs> so albums, different. which I, I might just be. is perfect, too. Yeah. Sorry. Okay. I think that's a, a touch over generous, but I'm interested <laughs> in that perception. Well, and they're all different. Something that was always different about Van Halen was they always had this really irreverent attitude toward pop history. Every single album, they would do some sort of like old country blues song or some like beloved classic rock standard, and they would trash it on purpose. They meant to be sacrilegious. You were meant to hear like Ice Cream Man and think, how can they do this? This is, you know, this is sacred music. They were always doing like country or bluegrass or blues and doing it with a really irreverent style. They would end their concerts every night with Happy Trails, the Roy Rogers song that Quicksilver like covered. Um, so to hold them is this thing of purity that like, you know, young people should be like respectful and reverent toward is I think in this fan's opinion, misapprehending the Van Halen legacy. Well, even the version of you really got me while it is in some ways reverent. It's also irreverent in the sense is like your version is kind of sucky and old. We're yeah. going to make the much was, cooler version it was of it. Absolutely yeah. aggressive and antagonistic yeah. towards yeah. Kinks fans. Yeah. yeah. It was, it was, I, yeah. yeah. By the way, their version, I, we, I hate to say it, their version is, oh. is much better than yes. original. I remember <laughs> I spoke with Dave Davies a few years ago and he trashed it. He hates it. See, there you go. Those disrespectful <laughs> it, it fucking punks in Van Halen. Yeah. Um, um, something we often forget. The second album where they did a Linda Ronstadt cover, they did You're No Good. And that was just like, woohoo, Linda, you think you're like LA and you're bummed out? We're going to do like You're No Good. And, and they do it like super like souped yeah. up in a Van Halen style. It, it was designed yeah. to be offensive and it was. I think the argument I've, I've often read against those albums that, that were between two and their 84 album is that they were half-assed, that they, they were done super quickly, they did covers, that they didn't put in the same energy that they did to the first record. First two, even, yeah. 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 Uh, that's fair. They also, <laughs> that, that, those are also the days, those albums have like 13-minute sides. Yeah. Like, oh they, they were not like sticklers about value for money. That, I remember Dave Lee Roth being challenged about this by Martha Quinn on MTV, specifically about doing so many covers. And he said, well, why don't you count the 22 covers on the first eight Beatles records? <laughs> and that was his, you know, that was a mind-blowingly antagonistic thing to say to the classic rock canon. They were, in many ways, as similar as David Lee Roth is to Billie Eilish in all those ways you pointed out. It's fascinating how sort of much the opposite they were of Billie Eilish in so many ways that Billie Eilish can make her music in a bedroom with her brother. Van Halen required like billion dollar studios in a live room. <laughs> in Van, months. Yeah. yeah. Van Halen was a bunch of dudes who were like, who, who perhaps were not the most gentlemanly in their interactions. I think one could definitely accurately say from uh, many reports of their time on the road. And Billie Eilish is a young woman claiming her spot in the world. Everything about their eras and their beings are opposite other than all the things Rob pointed out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would agree. And both were kind of very made to exist in their moment in time. Van Halen were made for 1984. 
and she's made for right now. I mean, it's mm-hmm. very it's very different eras. But there's something about what is it about Billy that makes people want to ask her like. Have you heard of this thing? Does this thing mean something it's, to you? It's, it's not just her. <laughs> I mean, people like even with like Hazel Sills had posted this on Twitter about how when our Lord cover came out, when she was wearing the cramp shirt, people were like, does she even listen to the cramps? Does she even know who they are? Like, I do think there is this idea that if the, you're a teen artist, the that, name three songs thing. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> like if you're such a fan, like name the first three out, like, you know, it's like, okay, calm down. But yeah, people do this all the time. I mean, they do it to like, they did to like Taylor Swift still like I mean it's just like you know this idea that if you're a young woman making music like if you don't know the history that somehow it's like makes your music less great or makes it less you know important to listen to I do think there is a difference in how people treat young male artists to young female artists like they're not gonna quiz like a bunch of young dude like even with the Lil Nas X versus Billy thing like that press cycle was done in like a minute like people were like oh how funny he like didn't know in bloom and then this went on for like a whole day. Yeah. And they can't call her a fake songwriter because she's so involved in the creation of the music. So to bring her down, they have to try a sort of a different tactic. Mm-hmm. That's a, that's a, a long running misogynistic aspect of a particular type of male culture that's super defensive about not being necessarily relevant to younger audiences and specifically younger women. I mean, the same thing when Britney did Satisfaction. People were so <laughs> outraged. You know, does she even know? She's even, you know, doing new words to it. The, the, the whole like... Does she even know who Brian Jones is? Yeah. 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 But, I don't know. It, it, you had a cab driver explain to you who David Bowie was? Yes, I did. I, I think I about mean, that I, yeah. constantly. <laughs> and I've like, when I've worn rock shirts, I've had people like be like, do you know who this artist is? I'm like, yes. I had someone ask me if I knew who Nirvana was after I got my Nirvana tattoo. (laughs) (laughs) It's just like, I mean, it's definitely a thing where it's like... They just wanted to educate you. Yeah, they're just like, you know, like, if you got got this tattoo, do you know what that means? Like, yeah, it's just, it's total insanity, but it's just a way to sort of not really address the fact that the canon that they want people to know is built on racist, misogynistic values like a lot of the canon ignores a lot of the women a lot of the black artists that built all of it well look at the run dmc thing yeah no one gave a shit that she didn't know who run dmc is and again not that they should but if they're gonna care about one they should care about the other right and that's exactly to your point yeah and that's the difference too it's like i mean you shouldn't be mad about it but like if they were going to like she pulls more from hip-hop than she does rock like you know (laughs) like it's like that's a, a huge difference in her music not to mention the horrific Huey Lewis erasure in all of this. Yeah. She, she specifically said she had no idea who Huey Lewis is and no one cared. And I just think that that's like said, she probably has not even seen Back to the Future, let's face it. She probably hasn't seen American Psycho, even though she is a huge horror film fan. <laughs> it's tragic. But I hope Huey doesn't know about this because this is hurtful to him. I hope his son, who once interned for us, it was a really nice kid. Was a great intern. Great intern, great transcriber. I, I hope he also didn't hear about that because that, that part's really sad. I I do think. Wait, I think he works for Kimmel now. I think his son works for Kimmel. I could have sweared that he we just told me that. I just interviewed. <laughs> well, well he, he must have had an interesting evening backstage. Then. <laughs> yeah. But I do think, separate from the obvious sort of sexism in the whole thing, I think there is this other thing where the fact that there is a star now who is not even a millennial, who is Gen Z, who was born in 2001, is really messing with people's brains. I think it's just like it freaks people out because it reminds people of how long ago some of this stuff was. That Van Halen's first album came out in 1978, 41 years ago. Right. 
that she was born after 9-11. I mean, as you point out, she was not alive for the Gary Sharon era. No, she, like, she wasn't even close. Like when they did Van Halen 3 with the guy yeah. being shot a cannonball in his yeah. stomach, she was not even in utero that at that she point. She barely was alive to see the Sam and Dave tour of O2 <laughs> when she was like months old when they teamed up. <laughs> And back to back to the whole Van Halen thing because I think and that's why this is what I, I was looking forward to in this episode. There's just something yeah. great about being in a ricochet back and forth yeah. here. But the problem with Van Halen, among the other problems, is Rob argues that people forgot about the Sammy Hagar years. I'm not so sure that's true. I think that it's damaging to what can be good for a band in the now can be bad for them in the legacy. It's like certain other bands we've talked about that I won't even name might have been better off breaking up in 2004 <laughs> rather than slogging on with albums that no one cares about because then your legacy gets more secure. Yeah. So with Van Halen, it was like if they'd given up after David Lee Roth left – it would have been very bad for their bank book in the moment and they would have lost the opportunity to make all those records, but it might have been better for their legacy. Right, because they did very well after Roth left. They had hit after hit after hit and you hear virtually none of those songs now. I mean, Some of them, did you ever hear Pound Cake? By the way, good song. As Brittany, as, as everyone was saying- <laughs> Pound Cake is not yeah. a good song. I like you Pound Cake. It was a hit. both worlds. I like Pound Cake. Uh, <laughs> you said, why can't this be love? I'll give you why can't this be love. <laughs> Or dreams, or I mean, I, that I think no, that, no. Or, or how do you know when it's love? Yeah, I just love that one because, like, the question in that song, like, how do you know when it's love? The members of Van Halen are probably the last four people on earth you would go to with that question. Well, that's why they had ain't talking about love. Oh, yeah, they don't talk about it. If, if you're curious, you know, like, uh, how do you dispose of a stripper's dead body in the trunk of a car carrying contraband drugs over uh, an international border? You would go to Van Halen with that question. You would not ask them. How do I know when it's love? But how will I know if it's the real thing? Yeah. And so these. And it's like forever. I can't. I can't tell you. <laughs> yeah. I can't tell you, but it lasts know. forever. Like, like yeah. Sammy Hagar, I question your expertise on this topic. Your biographical background suggests nothing that would lend itself to expertise in this question. Yeah. So it was years of videos that were all over TV. That besides right now have been erased and the band erased it when they brought David Lee Roth back in 07 they did a Stalinist purge of the entire Hagar universe that never happened they never do those songs they even doctored the cover of their first album to take off Michael Anthony and put Wolfgang on it when he wasn't even alive <laughs> my god really? Yeah. yeah they did a brief yeah, yeah. It was it was a, for that moment Sharon Osbourne took over as the manager for yeah. that one moment <laughs> <laughs> it was like, kill him yeah it's, it's just yeah. yeah so this is a band that had their commercial peak in 1984 they had a weird coda with Hagar but since 1995 at least hasn't done anything but have three different singers and just play their bass. They solely play two of the bass. They have not expanded it in the tiniest way. The Gary Sharon thing, I mean, it's <laughs> endlessly fascinating to me, at least that there is, you can go to YouTube, you can go to YouTube and and find a clip of him singing Van Halen songs at Jones Beach or whatever, and it's and, just like from an alternate universe. It's so but weird. They sounded good. That their logic then it was, hey, we replaced one lead singer, we can do it again. It's just, it's very easy. They perhaps misvalued their brand in some ways. Mm -hmm. I, yes. I always remember like David Lee Roth's great quote in Rolling Stone when they replaced him with with Sammy Hagar, yeah. and he said, 
Every night, Sammy Hagar's going to have to sing Jump. And I am never going to sing a Sammy Hagar song. He's yeah. probably broken that I vow mean, since then. Sam, Sammy did, in fact, sing Jump every night. and it, Yes, but and he, he would just do like three of them. And it, listen, was it better than when Chris Cornell tried to sing Rage Against the Machine songs in the <laughs> last days of Audio Slave? Yeah. Yes, it was better yeah. than that. I think the mistake <laughs> they made was they thought they were Santana. Was that just the guitarist mattered, the singer mm-hmm. meant nothing. And they were deeply mistaken in that. And, and boy, did they misvalue their asset in Michael Anthony. Yes. Like, in terms of bassists who specialize in Jack Daniels-shaped basses <laughs> and, like, perfect background <laughs> vocals, they're not Van Halen without his vocals. It's exactly. like the Mike Mills factor. You need the bassist singing harmonies. To <laughs> that's, that's where the Beach Boys stuff comes in. Absolutely. And you take him away, you take away a lot. And also, actually, I'll tell an amazing story that Sammy Hagar told me. <laughs> Which is that, All um, right. so Sammy Hagar plays with, or play with Michael Anthony in, in this uh, <laughs> fantastic band, Chicken Foot, that consisted of, that I once spent a day hanging out with Chicken Foot, one of the best days of my life. It was, the band Chicken Foot was uh, not a single good song, but amazing players. But it, it was Sammy Hagar, on drums, Chad from the Chili Peppers, and on guitar, Joe Satriani. Yes who was the nicest nerd in the world that was made so nervous by all these other guys. He brought like an 800-page science fiction book to read on tour, and they were really keeping him from a science fiction book. Chad also jumped for no reason from the balcony in Bowery Ballroom. There wasn't even anyone there, just me. It was Irving Plaza. Uh, Irving Plaza. Sorry. Uh, my fact-checking cuz over here, right. It was, it was yes. He it was much ju- higher. He, yeah, he, no, he jumped from a high balcony for no reason with no crowd there, just to be a lunatic. But anyway, point being, <laughs> that Timmy Edgar told me in the course of this, so Michael Anthony had free reign to like play a lot in this chicken foot band. And it turned out he is a really gifted bass player. Whereas in Van Halen, he basically was asked to be like, don't, don't. Dunt, dunt. So Eddie Van Halen was once listening to uh, some kind of solo project. Maybe it was Chicken Foot, maybe something else of Sammy's. And was like, my God, the bass playing is amazing. Who is that? And he's like, that's Michael Anthony. <laughs> <laughs> I just let him play. He's like, oh, well, you know. Wow. So, Rob, I was going to ask you, if Billie Eilish was sitting right here and you had to explain specifically to her who are Van Halen, what would you say to her? Well, first I would say welcome to a galaxy of awesome And I would suggest starting with uh, Everybody Wants Some from the album Women and Children First, which is the most Billie Eilish sounding of Van Halen songs. It's got that, you know, AMSR whispery thing, like, you know, like, whoa, where'd you get that shirt? You know, it starts out with that. And like, the way it goes into the home monologue, you know, like, I like the way the line runs up the back of the stockings. No, 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 don't take, don't take them off. Don't take them off. Um, that that it's it's very much a, a Billie Eilish kind of vocal approach, and also the, the, the sort of enveloping musical universe of it. <laughs> you can honestly put bad guy over this. The presence of these long sort of instrumental passages is explained uh, very nicely in the tell-all book by their manager, who explained their last-minute panic in the studio and all the albums after the second one. Between the second one and 1984, how they would just like come in with no songs written and just have to produce something in like three weeks. I would counter with Roth's autobiography crazy from the heat which is excellent book a classic every page like carved on gold tablets (laughs) for him it's like it's it's his use of pop history but like as Brittany said like billy is somebody who is deeply versed in and deeply passionate about like music and very much has a roth like way of consuming pop music and listening to stuff from the past and thinking how can i use this Mm -hmm. which is their main affinity we were going to talk about the van halen synth years which, Rob, one of my favorite things you ever said was that there was a period when Prince was trying to sound like Van Halen and Van Halen was trying to sound like Prince. 
<laughs> yes. If you listen to Ice Cream Man now and you listen to the end of it with that like, you know, like parody blues ending, like boom, boom, boom. It's like that was the template for let's go crazy. Prince was like, I got to do that. Whereas <laughs> Jump, the first time I heard Jump, I was like, this is just Prince's dirty mind. I can't believe <laughs> they're going to try to get away with this. And I heard this on my local FM rock station. And they were like, we're debuting the new Van Halen song. And immediately afterwards, the DJ said, yeah, real original guys, and then played Dirty Mind. It's like (laughs) so obvious. So it's funny that that has become, you know, for you, like the canonical Van Halen song. Yeah. And don't sleep on the fact that Eddie Van Halen played on Beat It. I mean, that is, you know, mm-hmm. the, that has actually just occurred to me that probably that would be something that you could say to Billy Eilish. is like, you know, that all that squealing noise on Beat It? <laughs> he's, the, he's, he's the guy who made the... the yeah, I, I might have held back on that because yeah. it's probably not her favorite part of Beat It. Like <laughs> Exactly. But, you know, what's funny about that is it's an example of Eddie Van Halen actually kind of got swindled by Michael Jackson because he kind of did it as a favor and never appeared in a any video and I believe didn't get paid for it. So, you know, it's it, all good. It's all good. <laughs> David Lee Roth said like, oh, what's the big deal? He just played the same solo he plays on every Van Halen record we've ever made. As a Van Halen fan, I just want to say that it's been an awful decade of just no information and tours that are very brief and just there's such a cone of silence around the band. It's been five years now of no activity. Now David is going to Vegas for a solo show and he basically said that ah, the band is over. And there's just, it's a sad state of Van Halen affairs. It is. And it's just, at the same time, all a band like that needs as far as re-entering the public consciousness is like an iconic moment in a new movie, like their equivalent of a Bohemian Rhapsody in Wayne's World. They're kind of, or a great biopic, which by the way, actually, I think there actually could be a great Van Halen biopic. Someone call up Machine Gun Kelly to play David Lee Roth. I enjoyed the scene in The Irishman where uh, Pacino and De Niro uh, like commit a murder to uh, to Unchained. No, that doesn't really happen. (laughs) I'm just imagining what could have been. No one else uh, made it to the Also, no, (laughs) don't have that, Marty. Take it. No Gentile should play David Lee Roth. That, by the way, that is, I would be, I would be personally offended by that. But yeah. So how would you frame the movie? The, uh, the Van Halen movie? Well, yeah. I think it's one of those that sh- it should be partially a comedy. And it should be based on that manager's book. And it should be about basically like David Lee Roth is the craziest person on earth, rivaled only by the Van Halen brothers. And it should just be <laughs> – and just poor Michael Anthony just being like shut out of all the royalties and it would be amazing. I can see Feud by like Ryan Murphy have a feud – have a whole mini series of just Roth Van Halen. Okay, that's a genius idea. Yeah. Thank you. That absolutely should happen. <laughs> I can't believe you just pitched that for free. Yeah. Unbelievable. Free, that, Ryan that's Murphy, free Ryan send Murphy. this man a fruit basket. <laughs> and they did an entire episode where we gave away like seven biopic pitches for free on the radio. So that's how dumb we are. <laughs> so but there needs to be a scene of a young Van Halen when they are like, you can't play guitar, you suck, and nobody will ever want to hear not, a song about jumping. You not, know, like, not every Mike movie Myers. <laughs> Not every, not every I, movie does that. The night I saw Rocket Man, like yeah. I actually, I had a horrible dream that night where there was a Van Halen version of Rocket Man, <laughs> and all four of them were going to therapy and quoting Van Halen lyrics in their group therapy. And it's one of those dreams where you're like, "This is a terrible, terrible movie. When does it end?" <laughs> Where's so, the uh, yesterday with no Van Halen existing <laughs> in the world? <laughs> Which is like the current world. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, and on, on that note. <laughs> They will return. So this has been today's Rolling Stone Music Now. Thanks to Bernie Spanos and Rob Sheffield and Andy Green. We were talking about Van Halen and Billie Eilish. Maybe we'll do five more episodes just talking about them. 
But as always, we appreciate you listening. We'll be back next week here on Sirius XM Volume Channel 106. In the meantime, we are a podcast. Download us as a podcast. Subscribe to us as a podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Maybe leave us a nice review on iTunes. That is always greatly appreciated. In the meantime, thanks again for listening, and we will definitely see you next week. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Should we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was the three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.